have changed. Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, July 29th, 2011. This week, episode 215 comes to you from Studio C in beautiful McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania. My name is Radio Joe Hughes, and I'm back in the studio with the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Hey, we missed you last week, Uh, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. It was uh, called in from on the road. Actually, I missed you all together last week. The week before I was on the road, I'll be back on the road next week. But it was an excused absence. (laughs) (laughs) At the controls, as always, is our engineer, Austin Stone Cold. Go back. All right, today's segments include the IAQ Radio trivia question and interview with Mr. Paul Lorenzi of Delmhorst Instrument Company. We'll have our halftime segment, we'll come back to our interview, and then we will go to our roundup with our technical director, Dr. Dietrich, while joining us as always. We've been updating and adding a blog. Cliff does a blog every week after the show. Check it out at the blog link on iaqradio.com. And we also recently updated our Facebook page, added a bunch of photos from the studio here and a lot of fun stuff. Check that out at IAQ Radio Show. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfacts.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, to contact the show, just follow the link from your show invitation that says go to the show. You can also download the show after we are done at our website, www.iaqradio.com. You can stream it live right from the homepage or go to the link that says go to the show and then you can download it from TalkShoe. We, of course, also have all the shows ready for downloading free of charge on iTunes. Don't forget we also have ABIH, IICRC, and ACAC continuing education credits. Just email me, request a quiz at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. And last but not least, please visit that IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. prize by outcompeting fellow IEQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IEQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Email it to czlotnick at cs.com or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in your answer from your computer. Congratulations. To Andy Krasowski, Concast Metal Products, another win. Uh, Andy was the first person with the correct answer to last week's trivia question, identifying Traveler's Insurance as the only insurer in, in the Dow Jones Industrial Average that posted its first financial loss in seven years 
due to tornado damage that actually cost the company more money than they lost during Hurricane Katrina. The IQ Radio trivia question for Friday, July 29, 2011, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been educating and representing the needs of their members for over 30 years. Now for this week's trivia question. Name the dynamic condition in which the moisture content of wood is neither gaining nor losing moisture. Back to you, Joe. All right. Looks like Andy's back, and uh, although he's, I don't see him online, so this he, is he, your chance. He actually listened and uh, listened to the show and afterwards. Okay. Yeah, beat him. Beat him to the punch this week, folks. All right. This week's guest, Paul Lorenzi, is the vice president of sales and marketing for Delmhorst Instrument Company. Paul essentially grew up with Delmhorst. He's worked there during high school and college for the company, which was then owned by his father. During that time, Paul worked at virtually every level of the business, from manufacturing and shipping to sales and customer service. Since 1990, Paul has made his career at Delmhorst. As a company principal, his main focus is sales and marketing. He continues to educate himself on the importance of properly using moisture meters by attending trade shows, working directly with the end users, and participating in industry-related courses and seminars that deal with all aspects of moisture-related problems. Looking forward to an interesting hour-long interview on moisture meters and moisture-related problems with Paul Lorenzi. Before we do, we've got some intro music. Humidity is relative, but relative to what? If I were quizzed on what it is, then I'd be on the spot. So just in case to save my face, I'll look it up today. And then if someone brings it up, I'll casually say... Humidity is the amount of moisture in the air. Relative humidity is the percentage of water vapor actually in the air compared with the most that the air could hold at each temperature. All right, Paul, welcome to IAQ Radio. Oh, thanks for uh, for having me. I appreciate it. And I love that song about humidity. I never heard it before. <laughs> That's, uh, well, if you read the blog, we'll tell you where to get it. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Paul, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, I've been carrying around a Delmhorst uh, me moisture meter for I don't know how many years now, and I, I don't know a whole heck of a lot about the company. Can you tell us a little bit about Delmhorst? Sure. Um, I, and I, I kind of like to tell about the company because I think we have a bit of an interesting story. Um, Bill Delmhorst, who was the founder of the company, started in 1946. So we've really we've actually been in business since 1946. And his um, his initial offering was uh, moisture meters that he sold to superintendent of um, apartment buildings <clears throat> a lot in Manhattan, actually, because we are close to New York City. So the first meters were used um, to trace leaks, you know, in plaster walls and roofs. Um, so building inspection kind of was the uh, the beginning of of the meter offering. And then he expanded uh, a little bit into um, other wood materials. Um, he kind of was a, a you know a lover of wood and wood products, so it was kind of a natural for him to get into that. Um, and then, as the company grew a little bit, he and my father paired up. And uh, this is where I think it's a little bit interesting. My dad was an uh, Italian immigrant. He came to this country in 1950 and opened up a small business in the 
small town that we all grew up in and the same town that Delmhorst had his shop in. And um, Bill, instead of wanting to work, wanted to travel, and he had just married an Italian woman. So he somehow found my dad and um, asked him if he would teach him how to speak Italian. Hmm. So they had this little thing going on for a while, and uh, before too long, Bill Delmhorst you know, asked my father if he wanted to manage the business. He said he didn't want to be too involved in the day-to-day, and he needed somebody to to run the company. So from that point on, which was 1961, um, the company's grown. We've expanded into other markets. Um, you know, building inspection is still, I would say, one of our larger uh, group of markets between home inspection, uh, flooring installers and inspectors, uh, water damage, IAQ. Um, but we also sell into the lumber and timber processing industries. We also have a couple of models that go into different agricultural markets as well. So long story short is, um, you know, my dad and Bill Delmhorst were partners until about 1978 uh, when Bill passed away. And since then, it's really been a family business. Uh, currently, I own the company with two of my brothers and one of my sisters. So, um, you know, really been part of our family for, for many, many years. Yeah, that is interesting. Cliff? Yeah, what are the different, um, I guess, measurements that Delmhorst instruments measure? I mean, what, what can, what's the range of things you can measure? In terms of products or materials? Um, or or you're looking more from a, from a you know a technical standpoint? No, from a measurement standpoint, like relative humidity, uh, oh, moisture sure. content. Like, <clears throat> yep. Well, the the primary focus of Delmhorst really since the beginning was measuring moisture content using resistance technology. So the bulk of our meters and still the focus of our meters are pin type or resistance meters. And, you know, it's a pretty basic technology, but essentially, you know, it requires, um, you know, some sort of probe or pins to be inserted into the material that's being tested. It measures the electrical resistance between those two points and then comes back with a reading of moisture content. Um, so that's really where we built you know, the core business. But again, we were dealing with wood materials, um, with building materials like drywall, concrete, roofing and insulation. Um, in the agricultural fields, we sell into the hay market, hay producers, cotton growers, um, all use meters. Um, and they all operate on the same principle of resistance. Uh, about 10 years ago, we entered into the market with a non-invasive or pinless meter, scan meter. They, you know, they're called different things depending on who you're, you're speaking with. And um, we had one offering that was primarily used for b- building inspection. And that's a little bit of a different technology. You still can measure moisture content, um, Again, in wood and drywall and, and even plaster and concrete with a non-invasive meter. Um, but it uses capacitance instead of resistance. And again, it's completely non-invasive. So there's no, you know, no pins uh, or probes that are inserted into the material. We can get into pros and cons about those two technologies in, in a bit. But, um, you know, that was kind of intended to, to round out our, our product offering. And then about... Five years ago, we developed our first thermohygrometer, <clears throat> the HT3000, which um, measures the relative humidity 
and temperature, um, and also calculates grains per pound and dew point. Um, and we've gotten further into offering really all three types of meters um, in recent years by uh, developing multifunction or what we call three-in-one meters. And again, those are typically used for uh, IAQ um, uh, and and restoration and even flooring inspection. And those meters, these newer newer generations that we we have, are pin combination of pin, pinless meter, and a thermohygrometer all in one. Paul, can you describe for listeners what a capacitance meter how it how it works as opposed to the pin type I, I think you already pretty well described measuring the resistance and the meters with the pin type would uh, you know the resistance would change based on the amount of moisture content in the material but can you describe a little bit for the listeners what how a capacitance meter works differently from a resistant type Sure. Now, I'm not an engineer, so I'm going to try to put this in, um, in layman's terms and terms that I can explain. But uh, essentially, a capacitance meter will send a signal into the material that you're testing. And the, the typical depth of penetration is about three-quarters of an inch. And that's pretty much industry-wide. All of the non-invasive meters um, you know, that are available typically have a, a limitation of about three-quarters of an inch. Um, and then what happens is this, that signal sort of, you know, bounces back into the sensor of the meter and then displays the moisture content. Now, depending on the material that you're testing, um, y- the meter would either give you a percentage readout. So, and typically on wood material, that's where it can offer a um, percentage readout. Or if you're using it on other materials um, like drywall and uh, and plaster and concrete, the meter would give you a, a, a set of numbers. And, and different manufacturers have different sets of numbers or different ranges that are strictly um, comparative numbers. So instead of getting 5% moisture content on concrete flooring, for example, you might see a number that's, 25 on a scale of 0 to 100. Um, so, and again, I'm sort of going off, off topic a little bit, but um, the capacitance meter allows you to either get, you know, the, the percentage moisture content or these comparative readings. Um, and again, there are some pros and cons to non-invasive or, you know, capacitance and, and pin type meters. Now, the the combination meters that are offered, you know, the ones that are pin, pinless, and um, the thermohygrometer, the non-invasive portion of that meter isn't truly a capacitance meter. Um, and some of that has to do with just from an engineering and development point of view, having some limitations in terms of putting, you know, three types or four types of different technologies on a relatively small uh, real estate in terms of a PC board and the processors that are used to drive it. So typically when, when you're using a meter that is an all-in-one or combination meter, the, the non-invasive portion is actually a little bit less sophisticated, let's say, or less um, uh, you know, advanced than true capacitance. It still has the ability to you know, bounce back a signal, but it's more like an antenna 
that sends the signal into the material and bounces it back to give you a reading. Um, and one of the key differences there between that type of non-invasive technology and the non-invasive technology in a capacitance meter is um, you can't calibrate it to a particular material to get percentage moisture content readings. All of the readings that you would get on a, you know, a combination meter on a non-invasive portion are strictly relative or comparative readings. Interesting. Uh, Cliff, I know you have another question, but I, and we want to go into more pros and cons in a moment, Paul, but sure. before we do, I just, I was somewhat fascinated when you described the history of the company. I was, I didn't expect you to say that Mr. Loren, or uh, Mr. Domhorst started out selling meters to building owners and superintendents. Yeah. I, I, I guess my natural thought was that he would have come from the, the lumber industry or, or, you know, some other industry that has been involved in um, moisture measurements for a long time. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the, the history of moisture meters in, in general? And then if you would, maybe you could, and I don't know if you know this, maybe you could enlighten us as to what made uh, Mr. Delmhorst realize that these things would be uh, a big sell for, you know, superintendents? Um, well, that's a good question, and I don't know that I have all the answers to it. Um, but <clears throat> he, um, his background was electronics. Uh, I believe he was, uh, you know, an engineer by trade. And Truthfully, I'm not sure how he really got into that niche of building inspection, and it may have something to do with just proximity to uh, New York. And like I said, most of the products were used um, in the city. So, it's, and I, I don't have the answer as to where he where he really came up with that initially. It, it didn't last very long. I mean, of course, it lasted long in, in the sense that we're still doing, you know, we're still targeting those uh, those. Uh, markets essentially, but when I say it didn't last too long, uh, he 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 moved more quickly into lumber, and uh, like I said before, he he kind of he had this affinity to wood, you know, anything made of wood, wood products, um, and he sort of parlayed his you know his background with moisture meters in. Um, general building materials into wood, and that's that's where he he ended up putting his focus was, um, <clears throat> you know, becoming very active in some of the universities that um, taught wood drying, the science of wood drying. Um, he was very uh, active and instrumental in really the fifties in working with the USDA to do lots and lots of testing on different species of lumber and that's how that's really how moisture meters um, for the wood industry <clears throat> became popular and also became you know a, a credible source of testing because the USDA backed a lot of that that testing and they, they essentially did oven tests on hundreds of species of woods um, and compared those to uh, meter readings using the resistance technology. So that's that's really where you know he ended up putting his his personal focus. Now, uh, with respect that. to the the moisture meter in general, can you tell us a little bit about how long they've been around and, and where they got started? Are you are you familiar with that? 
You know, I, I, I don't know for sure. I mean, I know that, um, you know, obviously we're one of the oldest companies um, who, who have made moisture meters. Um, I'm sure you and most of our listeners are familiar with what's now the GE meter, but used to be the protometer or protimeter, depending on who who's saying it. But the, um, there, there are a lot of parallels between Delmhorst and protometer in terms of history. Uh, protometer was based out of the U.K., and um, I don't believe they started in 1946, but their company is, is or you know, their their company as it was um, is almost as old as Delmhorst. And their focus was um, similar in in the sense that it was building inspection, but in England it's referred to as damp testing or dampness testing. Um, and aside from that, I, you know, I don't know too much about history of other companies. Now, there are, there are several other companies that make uh, moisture meters. Some are U.S.-based, and um, some are either from England, Ireland, or even other parts of Europe. And now, of course, there's stuff coming in from Asia. But, but I want to say that Delmhorst was probably one of, if not the first company, to you know, have these small handheld electrical devices. Now, before we go into the, the pros and cons, and we, we definitely want to do that, I, I, I was also curious about the other markets that you're in. Sure. And, you know, if you could, I mean, one that caught my attention was hay. I mean, I mean mm-hmm. you know, but I happen to live with a farm in my backyard. It's not my farm, but it's a farm over the hill, and I'm, I'm somewhat, I, I re- realize that moisture content is very important to the people farming. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about the other segments of industries that find these meters very valuable and, and kind of maybe what your, uh, I guess, where most of the business, at least for Delmhorst, comes from? Sure. Um, well, if we just talk about hay for a minute, um, because not all the listeners may, may really be familiar with why you need moisture meters while you're, while you're putting up hay. But essentially, um, you know, hay needs to be baled at a certain percentage moisture content for a couple of reasons, um, particularly if it's being used for feed purposes. Uh, the moisture level is going to affect um, the protein count and other nutrients in, in the hay, which is you know, obviously important for the animals that are feeding on it. Um, if, if the hay becomes too dry, and is baled at too dry a level, it loses its color, it loses uh, nutritional value, and it, it's just not as appealing as a, a, you know, a source of food. Um, if the hay is too wet, um, it has the potential to either rot, you know, grow mildew, uh, mold and mildew, and even spontaneously combust. Um, we're seeing less of that as farming is becoming a little bit more advanced and things like, um, you know, preservatives are being used um, to bale the hay, which allows the farmer to, uh, to bale at a slightly higher moisture content. But there's been, you know, many, many losses where there's stored hay, and this is what happens, you know, tons of it are stored in a, in a barn, and if there's too much moisture, it ends up building up heat, basically fermenting and, you know, blowing up. So they're pretty drastic extremes with, with, with the hay meters. Um, How do they, I'm just curious, what, do, they stick, do they use a pin type or, or do they use a non-invasive type? It, 
It's a probe type, but instead of short pins like we typically see on the meters, um, you know, in the in the building inspection world, um, we offer uh, 10-inch and 18-inch probes. So oh. they they they're a longer probe that attaches to the top of the unit, but what they they they're made up of about three separate um, layers, let's say, and the internal layers are metal, and then at the tip of of those probes, there's Two, two, um, you know, metal points really. Well, one metal point, but two metal pieces that are separated by an insulator. So once that whole thing is inserted into the bale, um, the point of contact are those two metal points. So it's the the tip, the very tip, and then separated by an insulator so that you know there's no contact uh, or no current flowing between the two, and then um, you know another point of metal contact. So the the it's a resistance meter it's just a little bit of a different uh you know kind of uh, format than the two pins that you see on the top of most of the other meters a little, a little different accessory i yeah. mean we'll be talking more about those as well because i know that was a sure. question cliff had and then if you could just briefly give us an idea of what other markets you think are something that would be of interest to our re- our listeners as far as other markets that uh, Delmhorst goes into with respect to their meters? Well, um, you know, uh, build, the building trades and agriculture make up, you know, the bulk of our business. Okay. Um, and under agriculture, we also sell a cotton moisture meter. Most of those meters are exported um, into Pakistan. Uh, we're doing business in Dubai now, although I think those are ending up in Pakistan, um, India, um, and a little bit in the U.S. But the cotton industry is a very the cotton season is a very short season. Um, we're starting right about now, and so uh, you know, second to hay in agriculture, cotton meters are probably the uh, our, our, our biggest sellers. And then we offer a grain moisture meter, and we also offer a soil moisture meter, but. Frankly, we don't do a lot with them. You know, we don't we don't pay a lot of attention to it um, for a number of reasons, and it's not high volume. Um, we also have some sort of interesting, you know, very niche markets. We have a paper moisture meter that's you know we sell to the pulp and paper industry. Hmm. Um, we have a leather moisture meter, very very tiny market for us, but. You know, it's just one of those things that we offer, and I think we're probably the only ones who offer it. Um, and that's sold, you know, or sold uh, primarily to tanneries and you know anyone who's dealing with with processing leather. Um, so, kind of some interesting things as a company. You know, as a, as a meter company, we we definitely have the broadest um, assortment of pro- of products. I mean, it's all within moisture meters. That's all we do, but the broadest. You know, let's say array, array of of markets and industries. Got it, Cliff. Did you want to ask one or go to halftime no, first? Go to halftime because it'll take them a while to answer the question. Okay, we're hang in there, everybody. We've got to thank our sponsors. We're just going to thank our sponsors. Come right back. We're going to talk more about moisture meters, calibration, digital versus analog, and all of that stuff. So we'll be right back. Our 
association sponsors are the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com. The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental and consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions, and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon, J-O-N-D-O-N.com. And, of course, Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfactswithanx.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. All right, we're back with the second half of our interview with Paul Lorenzi from Delmhorst Instrument Company, and I'm going to let the Z-Man take it from here for uh, the next question. Yeah, Paul, I'd really like to discuss calibration, uh, how often you feel that the meter should be calibrated either professionally back at your facility if that needs to be done or in the field. And one of the reasons that I pose the question is in litigation and an expert witness work, uh, when someone is showing moisture readings, uh, you know, oftentimes an attorney will ask, you know, when was the last time that meter was calibrated? And if he says, duh, or doesn't have a good answer, it can totally, uh, you know, devalue that information. So your comments on calibration. Sure. Um, I, I think it's important to sort of define what we mean by calibration and also qualify it from the standpoint of of what we want calibrated you know if we look at if we look at the fact that we offer a pin meter a pinless meter and a thermohygrometer you know those are three separate components that may um, in fact need to be calibrated so I'll start with a pin meter or the resistance meter most of our instruments have a built-in calibration checkpoint so it's just, it's really as simple as just pressing a button on the you know on the meter face and the the whether it's analog or digital the the meter will read a predetermined um, checkpoint and that's a very quick and easy way to check the meter's calibration now you can't affect the calibration in the field it's it's not it's not that the user could can recalibrate but they can always verify it. We also offer, and this is a nice little tool that, frankly, Delmhorst doesn't do a good enough job of uh, marketing, but we offer something called a moisture content standard. And what it is is it's just a little plastic block, kind of, that has resistance values inside of it. And 
what that allows you to do is it's got three different points of contact. So you can attach it or touch the moisture content standard to the pins on top of the meter um, at two of these you know, metal points and take a, take a reading. And it will read, I mean, there are different values, but typically, let's say, it'll read 12%. And then you just turn that moisture content standard over to the other side with the other two points of, metal, of contact, attach it to the pins on the um, meter, and you would read 22%. I mean, again, I'm I'm using numbers that may or not may or may not apply to a particular meter because they're different for different meters. Right. But what's nice about the moisture content standard, even if your meter has a built-in checkpoint, the moisture content standard gives two other points, and they're usually you know at not not extreme ends of the scale, but you know, 12 and 22 percent are you know on the lower end and on the on the higher range. So that's a really good way to verify the calibration of a pin-type moisture meter. We also sell those, um, or, or we offer with a moisture content standard, something called the letter of certification. And some companies, particularly those who have some sort of ISO certification, like the letter of certification because what it does is it, um, it, it offers traceability to NIST standards and and it, it offers that traceability on the moisture content standard. And the thing about the moisture content standard is there's no moving part. There's nothing that can cause it to go out of calibration. So it really, if you buy a moisture content standard and it's certified, you know, the, I'm not saying forever, but you can use that for a number of years on the meter to verify the calibration. If the meter is out of calibration for whatever reason, if it reads, you know, lower or higher, we always recommend changing the battery first. And then if it's still not reading properly, then it needs to come in and we, we calibrate the meters here. Now, on a non-invasive, um, it's a little bit more challenging. Um, <clears throat> and there's really not a, there's not an easy tool, or, you know, that, that we can offer in field for somebody to verify the calibration. So the, what, you know, what our customers do is they send it in for service or for a calibration of the non-invasive portion of the meter. Um, for the thermohygrometer, it's yet another story. Um, and I, uh, what I'll, I'll give you a few different ways that we can approach it. Um, one thing to keep in mind with thermohygrometers is you could put six of them in a row and more than likely, you're going to have six different readings. Now, if they're 20 points off, that's an issue. But if they're within a couple of points of each other, that's typically within tolerance because the, the manufacturers of the sensors have a tolerance that, you know, is stated. But it's frustrating for, you know, industry um, professionals because they want to see exact readings or they want to see readings that are exactly the same when compared against each other. But it's important to, to know that, that's not always the case. Now, in terms of calibration, there are a couple of options. Um, on, on our Navigator Pro, which is a three-in-one meter, uh, we just introduced a model called the HT4000, thermo, just a thermohygrometer. Um, we have another three-in-one meter called the Total Check. On those models, the hygrometer or the sensor is removable. And this is a good feature in terms of you know, 
checking calibration, and you can do a couple of things. We recommend that people buy an extra sensor and keep it in a Ziploc bag and just keep it in an office. You know, don't, don't expose it to the field. Just keep it as sort of a control. Now, this is not a, it's not a scientific or a, you know, actual calibration, but what, what this offers is the ability to come in with meters that have been in the field and pop in that sensor into the meter and compare it to the sensor readings, you know, of the sensors that have been in the field. And that's just a very practical and actually inexpensive way for um, the user to have confidence in the calibration of the thermohygrometer. The other thing that can be done is purchase a salt solution kit. And the salt solution, you know, we sell them. Um, they're not hugely popular items because most people just buy the extra sensor and that's a good way to, you know, to calibrate or to check the calibration. But the salt solution is something in which you actually insert the sensor into this little jar um, and there's two, two, we have two different jars. Uh, one is at 33% and one is at 75%. So you insert the sensor into that jar, it should sit for 24 hours and then you attach it to your meter and you know, then you should get a reading of either 33 or 75, depending on which solution it was in. Now, again, that's not a actual calibration, but it's a verification of the calibration. So, you know, in the field, there are some, you know, pretty easy to use tools or tricks to verify calibration of your, of your pin meters and of the thermohygrometer. If you need, you know, uh, an official calibration, the only way to do that is to send it back you know, to Delmhorst or whoever, whatever company you're buying from, and, you know, then we can recalibrate or verify the calibration in a little bit more of an, uh, you know, advanced way. Paul, we've does got... That help? Does that uh, cover? Uh, yeah, perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, yeah. um, in fact, one, there were a couple points there that I, I wanted to, in fact, I have a note here to order a moisture content standard from you, so that, that helped a lot right there. And um, the other thing that I've got, I've got a text question here, and let me see if we can get you to expand on how we determine background moisture in existing building materials and then compare that to areas of elevated moisture content. I guess we would just, could you expand on a little bit what Dalmhorst recommends with respect to, I guess you would call it um, moisture mapping? Yeah, I, I guess I'm not 100% sure what, what they mean by background moisture content. Well, I guess the fact that everything, you know, is going, most materials are going to have some amount of moisture in them, even when they haven't been exposed to water damage. Right. Well, if, we, if, if, I, if I interpret that as being, um, you know, an unaffected area, um, I'll take it from that yes, perspective. Yes, and, yes. and as you said... You know, every material has some level of moisture. Now, um, and that's okay, you know, because obviously there's, there's humidity in the air and the, the materials we're dealing with are all hygroscopic materials, which means that they can take on or give off some sort of moisture. So when they settle in at their equilibrium moisture content, that, what that means is that's the moisture content at which the material becomes stable. Wood flooring is a great example of that because, um, you know, in the flooring industry, 
everybody's up against the clock. And, you know, whether it's a new construction and a builder is down their back or a homeowner. But, you know, one of the, you know, one of the best pieces of advice that a wooden, a flooring installer could, can take is to let the wood floor acclimate in its environment before they install it. Um, particularly if they're installing over, you know, a wood subfloor. And the reason for that is you want it to equalize or you want it to become stable. So if they let it sit for a few days in the environment before they literally lay the floor and then take moisture readings of the subfloor and the top floor, those numbers should be within about two to four points of each other to be able to safely lay the floor down. And the reason I'm using wood flooring is because flooring, you know, it's very easy for moisture to be picked up or, or given off, you know, from especially unfinished flooring. Now, if you're looking at, you know, some sort of water damage, um, the, the idea is always to find an unaffected area. And that's, you know, we call it a baseline reading. We call it a dry standard or, you know, a drying goal. There's a couple of different terms for it, depending on exactly who's talking about it. But the idea is always to find that unaffected area, because then you can see change, you know, in elevated areas compared to the dry standard or the unaffected area. And this is really important when you're dealing with a scale that doesn't give a percentage readout. Um, so earlier when I was talking a little bit about the scan mode or the non-invasive, and, and I'm going to just refer back to this Navigator Pro because it's a pretty popular unit in, in this arena. The numbers on our scale go from 0 to 300 on that scan mode. Now that doesn't really mean anything in and of itself. And it's different from other manufacturers. Some offer a 0 to 100 scale. Some offer 0 to 1,000. We did 0 to 300 because we, we sort of want to drive home the point that the number doesn't mean anything in and of itself. It's the change. And the change between an unaffected area and an area of elevated moisture levels. And I, I, I use my office as a good example um, because the unaffected area could be different in the same building envelope, depending on what's on the wall or what's on the floor. But my office has, has wallpaper, and if I hold a, uh, one of our non-invasive, one of our combination meters up against the wall, I get a reading of 55. Okay, that doesn't really mean much of anything, um, unless I were to you know, start dragging that meter in other areas and start getting readings of 200 or 250. Then we know we've got an issue. But if I go to another room in our building that has just painted drywall, I get a reading of 35. So the point being that even in the same environment, that unaffected or you know dry standard could be a different number, and um, it's just very important to establish that number um, at every job so that then you're comparing readings against it. If I can just kind of take this one step further, you know, on a related topic, our approach typically is to use your non-invasive meter for just that, to sort of identify, okay, this is, this is safe, this is unaffected, and now I've got some issues going on in this area, and then take the pins and go in and actually use the pins. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, Delmhorst meters offer a scale on, on our pin meters that's calibrated for drywall. So if you're scanning drywall and you have high non-invasive readings, 
and then you go in and set the meter to drywall and probe it with the pins, you're actually getting a percentage moisture content reading, which is very helpful because it's not on a relative basis, it's actual moisture content. Um, the other thing that pins allow you to do, depending on how long of a, of a pin you've got, is you can go through the drywall into the insulation behind the drywall um, and see what's happening in that in that wall cavity. So um, now I just lost my train of thought because I'm going in a bunch of different directions. Uh, that's, is, is that unaffected? Does that seem to make sense to absolutely. you? Absolutely. That I, I yeah. think we're great there now. But you led into another area I'd like to get you mm. to expand on, and that it's is you know reporting your results. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned that you have a meter that you're comfortable with saying you can report the results on drywall as a percent yep. moisture content. Okay. And then I know obviously with, with wood, you can report as percent moisture content, at least sure. with certain types of wood. And then there's also a, um, correction factor, I guess would be mm-hmm. for other types of wood. Can you expand on that a little bit and how important that is or is not? And because I, the problem I see is when you're doing these types of inspections, you don't always know what type of, of wood you're dealing with. Now, obviously right. with, you know, two by fours, you're commonly dealing with, uh, you know, fur. A fur, but when you're dealing with hardwoods and others, it's, it's not always easy to figure out what you're dealing with. Can you comment on that a little bit and give listeners sure. a tip? And this is a big, this is a big, you know, topic because we, we talk about it a lot here. We get a lot of phone calls um, asking about it at trade shows. You know, the interpretation of readings is really, really um, sort of a big deal and very important. If we, let's start with wood for, for, for a minute because it's a little bit easier in some ways to, to manage. Um, all of our meters, are, 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 our default calibration is Douglas fir. Um, which, as you say, you know, a lot of framing material and, and that sort of thing is, is fur. Now, some of our meters offer a correction chart. We have about maybe 75 or so different species of woods that with a correction chart. So you would just look at that chart and, you know, intersect what your meter is reading and what species you're in, and then you come up with a corrected value. Some of our meters have that built in, so you can set the species. Um, and then you take the reading at face value. Now, to answer the concern about how do, you know how do I know what species I'm dealing with, that can be a little bit of a stumbling you know block. But the rule of thumb and what we see, because we've had so much you know work and, and experience with different species, but if you're dealing with a moisture range of about eight to twelve percent moisture content, mm-hmm. and you're dealing primarily with domestic domestic woods. The, the correction is very minimal. And not to minimize the importance of, you know, of honing down or nailing down an actual percentage moisture content, but being very precise is, is more crucial in a kiln operator's life than it is in someone who's either checking for, you know, water damage in a building or someone who's drying out the structure. And the reason is that when you're drying the lumber from green lumber, it, it needs to be very precise because that truly affects the um, the grade of the wood and 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 whether there's cracking or or what we call checking. It's ultimately going to be a piece of furniture or or wood flooring. 
in an in an environment where there's been water damage, yes, you need to be um, mindful of what the levels are. But those corrections aren't as crucial for a couple of reasons. Number one, there is a little wiggle room, um, you know, and and that equilibrium moisture content that we talked about. There's a little wiggle room there. It's not exact exact. But number two, if you focus on the uh, unaffected area that's really the most important number. So just using an example, let's say you have a meter that's calibrated on Douglas fir and you're checking, um, I don't know, red oak flooring. Um, yeah, you could set the meter to red oak, but if you find an area of flooring that's unaffected and your reading is 9%, it doesn't really matter that it might really be 9.5% or 8.5%. I'm just throwing numbers out, you know, as sure. corrected values. It's just important that you know that's your starting point or that's your, your target point. Um, with drywall, it's a little trickier because, you know, many people use a meter that either has a wood scale or has a, a, a relative scale. So the danger there is if they're reporting numbers, um, it's really important to, to qualify what scale they're using. And again, going back, I had to drill this, you know, into everyone's head so much, but go back to that unaffected number. So I'll give you an example. If you're using a wood moisture meter and you're probing drywall and you get a reading of 20 on the wood scale or what may be called a wood moisture equivalent scale, depending on whose meter you're using, if you get a reading of 20, and you say, I have 20% moisture content in the drywall, that's inaccurate. Because 20% moisture content of drywall would be like a slush. Yeah. I mean, really. Yeah. And if, then if you, but if you take a Delmhorst meter and set it, just make a comparison, and if you set it to the drywall scale, 20% on the wood scale actually converts to 1% on drywall. So you see the numbers are, are so you know, vastly different if you're actually saying percent moisture content. So, and and kind of further to that, drywall really should be below 1% moisture content. Um, in fact, if I probe my office here on a, on a meter with that scale, it's going to read about 0.3%, which is pretty low. But, you know, 1% is sort of that threshold where there could be the um, environment for, you know, some sort of fungal growth or mold growth. So, you know, getting back to the reporting, it's really important to have some understanding of that because, and we see it all the time, people are, are sort of erroneously reporting numbers as percentage, and it really needs to be qualified that this is on a, you know, blank scale, and this is my unaffected number. And what is your Domhorst's recommendation when reporting that? What what do you call that scale? Is it a relative scale? Is it some other top uh, terminology? Well, if you I mean, most of our meters have the drywall scale, so we would just say, you know, on a drywall scale. Well, I, I guess I should caliper. move to, to the next area. Now, what about, like, concrete and other types of materials where we don't necessarily have that percent, or do you have one right. now that does that? No, not for concrete. Con concrete is one of the most difficult building materials to measure with a, with a moisture meter or a moisture detector because... There's so many variables in, in every slab of concrete that will affect readings. Um, so we offer, if you're using the, the non-invasive, you know, you use that 0 to 300 scale, 
Um, most of our, our pin type meters for this industry um, offer what we call a reference scale, and it reads from 0 to 100. Again, that doesn't mean 0% to 100%. It's just a relative range. So if you were checking concrete um, or, in, or insulation, you know, we talked about insulation behind the drywall, you would switch to that relative scale. And I always tell people, just don't put the percentage sign on your report. You know, if it reads 30, that's not 30%. You need to say that it's 30 on a relative scale of 0 to 100, and that my unaffected area was 20 or 10, whatever, because that gives some reference point. And that's about the best, you know, we can do. And I mean we as an industry, not, not just Delmhorst. Okay. But it's a big, it's a big topic um, because there's a, there's a lot of misunderstanding about how to interpret those scales, and it really becomes very important. Well, it's a huge topic, and I, I guess my my, my follow-up to that, and, and we're running out of time. I, I'm so bummed out because I've got about 10 more questions here, and I've got a text I have to I'm get to. I'm long-winded. I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> you're, you're doing great, and I have a text I have to get to. But with respect to other than wood and drywall, mm. how difficult is it? to manufacture a meter that accurately reflects the percent, whether you call it wood equivalent or whatever, moisture content in materials other than wood and drywall? Well, it, it is somewhat difficult. Otherwise, I think we don't have them. And, you know, one of, one of the things, like, if we talk about insulation, for example, you know, insulation isn't completely uniform. Um, and that's, that's what's important with a resistance technology is that there's uniformity. So, you know, going back to the whole USDA thing where they did all this testing on wood materials, you know, a piece of red oak is a piece of red oak. Its properties are, you know, very, very much the same, whether it comes from a tree from a 30 years ago or a tree that was just cut down today. You know, once it's dried down, it's, it's a very consistent product. Drywall as well is a very consistent product. Um, the insulation is almost like a bale of hay. I mean, a bale of hay has some consistency in the density and the weight, so that you know when you're probing it, you're you're getting um, consistent pressure against the the probe, so that you get repeatable repeatable readings. With something like um, insulation, it's harder to do that because it's looser. It's lo it's more loosely compact. Um, so to, to really create a calibration that is going to be universal would be, um, sort of doing a disservice because it, it wouldn't be accurate. Concrete is the other sort of, um, you know, wild card here too, because there are densities in concrete, but there is also different admixtures in concrete. There's a lot of variables in every slab of concrete that make it, um, from a resistance tech type uh, you know, a meter or a non-invasive meter, virtually impossible to assign a percentage to it. Now, this opens up a whole other thing, which I don't think we have time for, but there is a new standard from the ASTM, and it's called the F, as in Frank, 2170 standard, and that is actually a standard that utilizes the use of a thermohygrometer to measure the slab of concrete, and it's a bit of a process. You'd need to drill holes and insert sleeves and wait up 72 hours, but then come in and actually insert an RH probe into that cavity. And they're now using RH in the, in the slab as 
a quantitative measurement for whether or not that floor is ready for, you know, uh, whatever coating or, you know, wood or whatever kind of floor is going to be laid out on top of it. But we could spend an hour on that topic alone. But it is becoming more and more um, widely used, certainly by flooring installers and inspectors. And I'm starting to see some over, you know, some crossover into restoration, um, maybe less so with purely IAQ, but certainly, um, you know, drying contractors are becoming more aware of that concrete test. So, you know, we're going to start seeing that come down the road. And we have offerings for it, but... Um, it's it's a matter of market accept, you know, just kind of awareness and acceptance. Well, and I would imagine the time period is a problem too. You said, did I, did I hear you right? Seventy two hours. Seventy two hours. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for a drying contractor to explain to a building owner, hey, you know, in right. seventy two hours, I'll know if your concrete's back to where I want it or not. That's that's gonna right. be a tough sell. But anyway, I, I, this has been fascinating. We've got a few minutes left. I want to get Doctor Wow on, but before we do, I had a quick test uh, text message do you offer meters with a quick acclimation um and i'm i'm not sure maybe you understand better what well, they're asking well, what, what, I, I understand what he's doing he uh, it's a, a digital thermohygrometer that acclimates like real real quickly gotcha yeah. thermohygrometer okay Yes, we, we do, actually. The the Navigator Pro that I mentioned um, and the HT4000, which is a new thermohygrometer we just came out with, those both use the same sensor, um, you know, RH sensor, and they have been really highly rated in the industry. I, I, I kind of shy away from quoting, you know, actual acclimation time because there are variables that will affect that. But... Um, you know, we've been we've been placed in different schools, and uh, you know, instructors are very critical of of acclimation time because that's such an important you know factor and in time savings. And the Navigator Pro, and you know, as a result, the HT4000 because they use the same sensor. They've really been rated, you know, up there with um, the Visala or Visala um, thermohygrometers, which have typically been the gold standard in the industry. Um, the HT3000, which is another model that we've offered for about five years, has a decent acclimation time. Uh, so, and 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 really, it all it all depends on the sensor itself. Um, but uh, yes, the Navigator Pro and the HT4000 you know, have become very very popular because of that, because the acclimation time is fast. Um, they give stable readings. There's not a lot of flickering in the readings, and you know it allows the contractor to move more quickly through the job. We've got at least one listener that agrees with you there, so we've got a nice text on that. And Paul, Good. are you in a hurry to run? I mean, can you stick around for another five? Maybe. Oh, sure. Okay, I'd like to bring Doctor Wow in. That's the nice thing about what Cliff and I do here. We we call the shots, and we can stay as long as we want, as long as you're okay with that. And uh, I want to bring Dr. Wow in because he will always have some interesting comment or, or question. And then uh, we're going to go to our, what we call our roundup right now. So Just we'll hang on. bring you right back. Okay. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up. Move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw high. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw
Okay, I think what we'll do is we'll go. Peter. And I'll wrap it up. Good day, Dr. Dietrich. Wow. Hey to you, Joe. <laughs> Welcome. I think, I think, I hope, and I hope that a lot of people listen very carefully <laughs> what Paul had to say. I hope so, too. Somebody, if somebody says, hey, I took a moisture reading, it's 23. It's an absolutely meaningless number. And uh, Paul pointed that out over and over again. And, of course, the bottom line there is, A, it is the material. Right. And there is no question about it that any material... The resistance over half an inch of that material is different from one material to another. Now, Delmhaus was nice. They have calibration tables now uh, that I looked at. <clears throat> I started using that uh, when nobody else was using it, and I made my own standards, and I explained to people what I was doing. <clears throat> and Paul pointed that out, and I think we have to look at moisture readings almost like something like relative humidity. It is the ratio of what it can hold and what it is. Right. And that, see, Good point. I, I had that wonderful scale that you guys made from zero to 100. Mm -hmm. And what I did is, in an environment, I didn't wait 72 hours, but in an environment, I had a piece, and by and large, it was two by four stuff. What is that? Southern white pine or something like that, right? Uh, two by four is typically fir, Douglas fir. Or Douglas fir, whatever yeah. it is. And I had one of them that I left out there, quote, in a dry environment. And the other one I put in a pot of water mm -hmm. for ah, maybe a half an hour or something like this. And I made my own scale. That's exactly what you said. That is perfect. You, you know, I called the one that was dried in that environment, not in the desert of the Sahara. In that environment, it was as dry as it could possibly get. Right. Because it's interacting with the humidity. The, I don't even want to use the word humidity. With the moisture in the air. Mother Nature likes everything in equilibrium. So it's going to be there the same as over there. Now, the other one in the pot of water is as wet as it's going to be get uh, as it's going to get. Therefore, I called your scale that is the beauty from that zero to hundred. I called the zero as dry as I could make it or had it in that environment. Well aware that it was not zero, relative. <laughs> right. And I called the other one. This is as wet as it it's going to be possible. If I submerge it, and then I told the people, I said, look, fellas, from here to there, if I'm now in the middle of 50, I said, you know, you are way, not way above, but that is uh, the moisture content of that substrate, whatever it is. Right. And it is 50% saturated. It, it, it holds 50% of as much as it could hold. Right. And I think... I, I, I have a, a bunch of other things here, but I think what you said that a number, if somebody says it's 25, it's absolutely meaningless, and you got to tell them how you did it, why you did it, and what the substrate was, and so on. 
I don't even talk about calibration. And you said that the the meters are pretty much, I mean, if you don't take them in the swimming pool and so on, uh, they are pretty, I mean, you don't really have to uh, uh, calibrate them every morning. Let's put it that way. No, I mean, they, you need to be sensible, you know, keep fresh batteries. Oh, and, sure. Um, you know, put them in the case when they're not being used. All these just little things help to keep the meter in good working order. Uh, like I said, I, uh, as I always say when I'm on the show, I always learn something. And you put it so nicely. I said, guys, don't give me your number. It was 25. It's meaningless. I don't know what that means. That I know you had used the Delmars, by the way, a nice German name. Yes. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, you used the Delmars, which was calibrated and had the right battery in it. It still is meaningless until you give me the details on how you took the measurements. That's right. And okay. I think that is the main thing of what I listened to in the last uh, hour. Well, I appreciate that, and and, uh, and you know, it it is a bit. As I said, it's a big topic. We we talk about it all the time mm. because um, it's just one of those areas where there's there's uncertainty and there's some mis misunderstanding. I mean, I don't want to point fingers, but you know, even even instructors in the industry are are not all up to speed and are you know giving not maliciously but giving incorrect information, which. You know, presents an issue, but I so it's constant education for us on that. I, I listen to instructors who try to tell me something about <laughs> filtration, <laughs> and I didn't open my big mouth. <laughs> I, was yeah. I said, "Look, fellow, you're completely wrong." <laughs> you be, I give you a couple of books to read. I didn't write the books, but I read them. <laughs> Well, Dieter, thanks as always. Do you have any other real pressing points you want to bring out, or should I? Move uh, yeah, on? Andy did it again. In fact, I'm working on a report for Andy. You know that. Yep, yep. All and right. uh, Andy is good. He is a great guy. I like working with him, and I like to work with his company. And he is a smart kid. And people ask me already, "Are you giving Andy the answers?" I said, "No, I don't know the answers." <laughs> Well, Dieter, thanks for joining us, as always. And, um, Cliff, did you have anything you wanted to add? Or yeah, I just or? wanted to uh, kind of uh, just mention something uh, to Paul that you know, kind of might be up his alley. Paul, a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were at a uh, convention, or I'm sorry, a trade show in New York huh. City, and we went there looking for packaging. Uh, and primarily the people that were at this trade show uh, were either selling or making cosmetic-type packaging. And there was an interesting booth where a firm was introducing a moisture meter for human skin. And, uh, you know, women are, you know, into, you know, adding more moisture to their skin and, 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 and so on and so forth. And companies make products, you know, for moisturizing. Maybe a market that you want to take a look at. It would seem that you guys are pretty well equipped. And, you know, I've taken, you know, a number of the different meters that, that, that you make and, uh, you know, touch them to my skin, and you know, I, I could always determine. You know, don't you know, put don't don't put too many holes in your skin, though. No, no, but uh, you know, just kind of touching the surface. <laughs> don't draw <of> blood. <laughs> right. Well, that that's interesting because I remember years ago, um, Estee Lauder contacted us, and this goes back a long time because I was, you know, a right. teenager. But I remember my dad, you know, coming home with the kind of interesting bits here and there, and Estee Lauder contacted us, and. And I, I, I don't remember what happened. I mean, obviously, we didn't do anything because we don't have that product. But 
Um, so it's not the first time I'm hearing about that. If um, if by chance you remember the name of that company, I'd be curious to, to know and just kind of take a look at it. I'm not sure if I had the brochure. Uh, I was actually mm-hmm. doing a quick Google search, and I, I found different sensors, and there are a couple of articles and, and, and stuff like that, but it, it might be an interesting market. Sure. Uh, you know, for you to look at and, uh, sure. you know, and, and, and kind of doing prep for the show. I also, uh, you know, saw, I, I guess they had, there's a company, I'm not sure exactly where they're from, but they have a meter and it measures moisture content in cereal. It's kind of like a cereal bowl and you <laughs> pour the cereal into it and, you know, uh, you know, just. I there are guess. lots of little, yeah, little sort of niches and branches of of, uh, of these markets. We've we've done a little bit in the in the food industry, but but very little. Actually, one of the pasta uh, companies has has bought our grain meter, which isn't really designed for it, but they've adapted it to it. So now, once in a while, we get these sort of uh, you know unusual type of applications. The question is, is it's always a question: is you know how much resource do you put into um, that market research and, and evaluation and um, and it's always a tough one because you know it's not we're not we don't have a uh, an endless flow of uh, of resources but but it's good to keep up with it and I am gonna I am gonna do a search for that skin thing because that could become a real you know you never know I think it could be good all I could tell Paul is what they were selling was uh, it looked like it was high end. And, yeah. uh, you know, when I walked, walked by, I just kind of thought of you that this could be, you know, kind of like right up your alley. And I appreciate uh, that. You know, you'd probably have to, it's one of those things that you'd probably have to desensitize, you know, what you're doing right. as opposed to. So, hey, you never know. Hey, you yeah. owe me a martini if it works. I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> At least. <laughs> Before we go, we always like to ask, you know, obviously we could go on for another hour, but um, is there anything you'd like to add or was there any one topic that we missed that you really wanted to make sure listeners heard your opinions on and uh, also how can people contact you? I think we covered some good topics, you know, and as you see, we can talk a lot about them, and and, that, and time is always a factor. Um, one one of the things that I might want to touch on, if if maybe we have an opportunity to even do a follow up on this, is talk a little bit more um, about pin versus non invasive meters, and you know, kind of where where one really, I don't want to say outperforms, but where one really makes more sense than another, and where some of those pros and cons are. And another thing that I think might be interesting to talk about are some of the different probes that we offer for, you know, sort of specialty applications in building inspection. But other than that, I think we, I think we covered um, some really good ground, and uh, I hope it was helpful to, to you guys and to, and to the listeners. It definitely uh, wasn't. Maybe we could bring you back and do the um, do those two a little on those two, and then maybe talk a little bit about that ASTM sure. standard too. Well, that, yeah, that, that might that would that would certainly be a good hour. So, um, as far as contacting me, um, I, my number here, our number here is eight hundred two 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 zero six three eight, and I'm at extension two twenty four. Um, my email is P. Lorenzi, and that's L A U R E N Z I at delmhorst.com. So, either way, it would be great. Uh, if anybody's got any follow up for me, I'd be happy to help them out. All right. Well, I want to first 
thank you, Paul, for joining us. Uh, Paul Lorenzi from Delmhorst Instrument Company. Uh, fascinating and uh, very educational hour for this week's show. He was Cliff. like one of the more difficult guests that we had to chase. I was chasing him for years, Paul, but thanks. For you were that. chasing me for years. I know, and you did it. And then I then I canceled. I had a good reason to cancel no, last no, month, but but I didn't have any excuse prior to that. So okay, uh, no problem. I hope it was worth. I hope it was worth the wait. It was, <laughs> Well good. worth it. We appreciate it. And this is great for me. I really enjoyed it and you know, hope it was helpful. Well, so. it's a proof yeah. for continuing education credit as well, uh, yeah. you know, for water damage restoration courses and indoor air quality and, yeah. and things like that. And I think we covered yeah. a, a lot of good information. And uh, sure. we'll be chatting with you, and we'd probably like to have you come back in the future. Oh, I would love that. I really appreciate it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think you guys have a good program here. So keep, keep up the good work. Thank you, Paul. And uh, okay. before we go, I want to make sure I thank my co-host, the Z-Man. It was good. Jim. Back was together fun. again yeah, for at least one week. But then we'll be separated. I always like it when you come back and then you go away. It just makes me <laughs> Makes for a great marriage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, also at the controls, Austin Stone Cold. Novak, of course, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow. We will be back next week. The Z-Man will be in the studio. I'll be calling in. We've confirmed Kent Rawhauser will be our guest. We're going to talk a little bit about disaster restoration, indoor air quality, and the kind of where the two come together and Kent's uh, opinions on those issues. We're looking forward to that. He was also at Indoor Air 2011, so we'll get his feedback from a practitioner's standpoint on that. And most importantly, I want to thank our growing group of loyal listeners. Thanks to all of you that hung in there all the way to the end. We're running a little over, but uh, we can do whatever we want. Absolutely. Please come back and join us again next week for the next episode of IAQ Radio. Gatorade not only quenches your thirst better, it tastes better too, idiot. You're, you're, you're drinking the wrong water. Gatorade. H2O. Gatorade. H2O. Water sucks. It really, really sucks. Water sucks. It really, really sucks. Mud dogs are going to the bourbon bowl. This has been another IAQ Radio production. Call recording has been completed.